Question one, what is our only hope in life and death? Tuesday night is date night for Angela and I, and I suggested in this past week to spend our time on our date nights, or a bit of it, going through a resource called the New City Catechism. Uh, catechism is an old word. Uh, it's a type of teaching, uh, including a series of questions and answers used to teach, to help memorize, and ultimately to help people grow in godly living. Last Monday marked 505 years since the Protestant Reformation, and during that time of the Reformation, churches used catechisms to teach and grow their congregations, their believers. They'd use it alongside the statements of faith. They use it in what we'd call community groups, in Sunday school for kids, in their one-on-one meetups, in their households, in their families. And Angela and I started this week, and question one was, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer, you probably can't see it there, but says that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And this really hit me as I read this. I just got off the phone a couple minutes before hearing about Joyce Bishop's situation. So life and death was already on my mind. And as I began to look at this week's passage, this is really what we find here in Paul's heart as we dive into today's section. As we see Paul wrestle with life and death, we are not our own, but belong to God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Life and death, it's a sobering topic to reflect on. Everything else dims away in the background, and that's where Paul moves to as he continues in his personal updates here to the Philippians. If we remember the previous passage a fortnight ago, if you flick back, we saw Paul's circumstances. He's in jail. He's being slandered by other gospel teachers. But his focus, if you read, it's not on his sad situation but it's on the gospel advancing. And as we, Paul, as we see Paul continue in his personal updates here, the believers in Philippi, they're anxious about Paul, not just him being in jail, but ultimately about his life. Will Paul be released or will he be sentenced to death? You see, life and death is at stake. And as we look at today's passage... I think Paul, he reveals his heart. He opens up, he's emotional and vulnerable, sharing his thoughts on the, on the question of all questions, the topic of topics where everything else dims in the background, life and death. If you're able to read the Greek in this passage, Paul's sentence structure is poor, not poor in a way that it's unreadable, but in a way that shows how raw and genuine he is here. Paul, he's revealing his heart, and it's actually the same chorus as we saw before. 
It's not about him. It's all about his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's all about the gospel. So let's dive in and see what Paul says here. If you have your Bibles open, verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. We see the passage before it ended with joy that despite and amidst poor circumstances, Christ was being proclaimed. And the theme of joy continues. Paul doubles down, doubles down on rejoicing. But this time, the object of joy changes because Paul, he rejoices now in his confidence, not in his confidence about his own deliverance. Have a look at verse 19. He knows, he knows this will turn out, this will definitely happen. His future is sure, and his salvation is a certainty. There's a lot of conversation in this verse about what this deliverance is that Paul is talking about. Is it about his physical deliverance, release from jail and his life being spared? Or is it talking about his deliverance in terms of his final salvation? Because that word means deliverance and salvation. About being saved on that final day of salvation and judgment. Well, I think Paul He's intentionally being vague. He's intentionally tipping his hat to both. But Paul, I think he's probably leaning more in the way of future and his final salvation. Because in the next verse, Paul does entertain physical life and death, which means that whatever happens, even if he does get sentenced to death, he's still certain of his final and future salvation and deliverance. Well, as we keep going, how is Paul confident of his future salvation? Well, verse 19, Paul uh, points out two things. First, it's through the prayers of the believers. Partnering in prayer not only brings our needs before God, but it actually encourages the person that we're praying for. That's why we say to one another in our conversations, I'll pray for you. I've been praying for you. And as we say and follow through on this, it's a powerful partnership in the gospel, as Paul points out here. And the second thing, it's through the help of the Spirit of Christ. You see, Paul's awareness of the Holy Spirit's work encouraged and grew his confidence and as we're aware of the Spirit's work in us, as we partner with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit reminds us of the gospel. That's his role, that's his job, pointing and pushing the gospel into each of our hearts. You see, these partnerships grew Paul's confidence in his future salvation amidst an uncertain future. Maybe today you're facing an uncertain future. 
or you know someone facing an uncertain future? Well, grow these partnerships that Paul talks about. Encourage these things to happen. Prayer and awareness that the Spirit of Christ is working in you. Encourage these things to grow a confidence in knowing that our salvation is secure in Christ alone. Paul continues, and he continues to unpack this joyful confidence he has in verse 20. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. Well, if you hadn't noticed Paul's confidence yet, he leaves no doubt in this verse using these two phrases, eager expectation. The phrase is like about stretching the neck forward, keenly and glancing ahead at what's next. And hope, when used in the New Testament, this word means a certain confidence. You see, even amidst the uncertainty of his life, this is how Paul views the future, confidently, expectedly, that what will happen, that he will be prosperous, that he will be rescued, that he will be victorious. Well, none of those things. Paul says that he won't be ashamed and that Christ will be honoured whether he lives or he dies. Paul, I think, takes these ideas from the Psalms. In Psalm 34, verse 3 to 5, David, he magnifies, he gives honour to God, and he declares that those who do this will not be ashamed. And here, Paul, he uses these same words. He's got the same heart as David, honouring magnifying Christ and declaring that he will not be ashamed. And this is Paul's heart, whatever happens. If Paul lives, Christ is honoured because Jesus is in control of all of those circumstances. And if he dies, Christ is still honoured because Jesus is proclaimed and declared by Paul's faith in Jesus until death. You see, we're already starting to see Paul's heart come out in this passage. He doesn't know what the outcome of his imprisonment will be, but he knows that the future is secure. Salvation is sealed. He knows the one whose hands he is. He knows the partnership of fellow believers and the spirit of Christ in him. And this results in a joyful confidence amidst an unknown future, knowing that in Jesus, salvation is secure. Well, as we keep moving in this passage, uh, the last dance, uh, you may have heard this, it's a documentary on Netflix following the final year of basketball great Michael Jordan in his time with the Chicago Bulls. It's a polarizing series if you ever get to watch it. Some people were wowed by Michael Jordan's greatness and others were turned off 
by Michael Jordan's pride and ego. But I think both sides would agree that the picture of Michael Jordan presented was one of a guy, a man, a player with an unwavering focus. He was clinical, he was resolute, he was single-minded and undivided. He wanted to win. Well, as Paul brings up the topic of life and death in verse 20, as we keep going now, he expands on this topic, bringing us to a powerful, pithy, poetic phrase that has become one of Paul's most famous sayings in his letters. And here, I think we see Paul's unwavering focus. He's clinical. He's resolute. He's single-minded, undivided, not on winning, but being about his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul keeps showing us his heart, for to me, this is how I see it. This is why I exist. This is my purpose. And we all have a good idea of what Paul is saying here. But the English doesn't even make sense. For to me, to live is Christ. And the Greek is even worse. For to me, live Christ. And to die, gain. Well, let's explore what these two phrases mean. Firstly, to live is Christ. This means that for Paul, life, all of life, living every single moment until death, it's all about Jesus. A whole life consumed with Christ. Not just two hours on a Sunday, not just in certain times and seasons or moments. You see, this is what it means to be a Christian, living primarily and completely for Jesus. Everything else in life is secondary to knowing Jesus, growing in Jesus, serving Jesus, sharing Jesus, and giving glory to Jesus in all that we do. This Jesus who died on the cross to save us from our sins, to give us new life forever. This is what this new life is for. It's not for us, it's for Jesus. To live is Christ. Paul shows us what this looks like in verse 22. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. To live is Christ. Paul's not just talking about a passive trust in Jesus. He's thinking hard work, getting stuck into it, exalting Jesus by serving the cause of Jesus and by actively proclaiming the gospel message. And secondly, to die is gain. For Paul, this wasn't a warped longing to die. It's more of a disarming of death because in Jesus, death isn't a threat anymore. It's not the end. It's not game over. In fact, it's the opposite. Death is a gain for the believer because we'll be with the risen Lord Jesus. 
the one who defeated death as he rose from the grave, the winner of our salvation, the one ruling on the throne will be with him. Verse 23 says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul looks forward. He can't wait to be in heaven, not to see his loved ones, not to bask in the perfection of the heavenly places, but to be in the presence of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, in glory. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And as Paul unpacks his heart, he shows us his indecision. Verse 22 to verse 24. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which, shall I, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You see, in a sense, both options are win-wins for him and for every believer. He lives. He gets to continue his fruitful labor, serving the cause of Jesus, which means more people hearing about Jesus, more people being saved, more churches growing, and more believers matured. But if Paul dies, he's with Jesus in glory. He likes the idea of both. He likes the idea of being with Jesus in glory more. He says that's far more better. But in the end, he knows that there's still work to remain to do. And we'll talk more about this in a moment. You see, this is how Paul's heart beats. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Here on display, his unwavering focus on Jesus, whether in life or death, it's all about his Lord and Saviour, his King, Jesus Christ. Well, as we round off this passage, you might remember some wartime movies where one army is retreating, they're under fire, bombs, bullets, etc. And there's a hero, a guy who stubbornly stays in the danger zone, and he stays there not for his own benefit, but to save his fellow soldiers, to dedicate his life to help others in need. Well, if gospel work is like a spiritual battle, this is the example of Paul. This is also how his heart beats. He knows that to live or die is a win-win for him and Jesus. And after his indecision, his back and forward on living and dying, he makes a resolve. He comes to a decision to stay in the danger zone as per se, not for his own benefit, but to help and save others. Let's start at verse 24 again. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. 
Obviously, whether Paul lives or dies is not entirely up to him, but Paul decides here, he resolves what he believes is best for him and the cause of the gospel is to live. And we'll dig into this more next week, but see why Paul resolves to live. It's for their sake, the Philippians' sake, verse 24. It's for their progress and joy in the faith, verse 25. You see, Paul's resolve to live for the gospel progress of others. And the result lines up exactly with Paul's heart. Verse 26. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. You see, Paul's resolve to live even though he knows that to die is gain. And the result here is glory in Jesus. The Philippians exalting, giving praise and honour to Jesus because of Paul's future ministry among them. The final aspect of Paul's heart we see that leads into next week, so stay tuned, is that he is resolved to live so that others would make progress in the gospel. Well, as we look back at today's passage, we see Paul's heart is all about Jesus. We've seen this by his joyful confidence in his future salvation because of the saving work of Christ. We've seen it in his unwavering focus on Jesus in life and death. And we've seen it in his resolution to live so that others would know and grow in Jesus. You see, this is how Paul responds to the person and work of Jesus. The same person and work of Jesus that you and I, that we're saved through. Christ died on the cross for Paul to take away his sins. Christ died on the cross for you and me to take away our sins. Christ rose in victory for Paul. And likewise, Christ rose in victory for us. And that means we can learn from how Paul responds to the gospel here. So as we think about Paul's heart, let's spend a few moments this morning to think about your hearts, our hearts. Who or what is your heart all about? How does your heart beat? And how does your heart respond to life and death? We're going to reflect on this by unpacking Paul's powerful phrase that really encapsulates his heart. To live is Christ and to die is gain. First, death is gain. For Paul to die was far more better and more desirable of the options. Because for him, death isn't a threat anymore. Death isn't the end. It's a departure from this world to be with what's best, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You see, death isn't a threat to the believer anymore. Because in Jesus, he died in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. 
But that wasn't all. He rose again from the dead. He defeated death to show that because sin has been paid for, death has no hold over him. Death has no hold over all those who trust in Jesus. So for those who trust in Jesus, we look forward to life after death, life with the risen Lord Jesus forever. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our risen Lord Jesus Christ. So this means that if you're a believer, not that you're looking for death, but you're, you're not afraid of death. You don't see death as the end. In fact, you see death as a departing to be with our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We're all sojourners on earth, and we're departing to our heavenly home to be with our Lord and King. So how do you see death today? For those who are followers of Jesus, do you see death as gain, as departing to be with Jesus in glory? Or is death still that threat to you? Does it really feel like the end as an enemy lurking in the future? Well, believer, brother and sister in Christ, make sure the truths of the gospel move from your mind to your hearts and to your hands so that you might join Paul in saying to live is Christ, to die is gain. Maybe this morning you're not a believer and death really is the end for you. Well, let me challenge you this morning to investigate why Paul can say to live is Christ, to die is gain. Jesus invites you to believe in him, to believe that he died for your sins on the cross, to believe that he rose from the dead to defeat death and pave the way for eternal life with him, to share that same hope and eager expectation of Paul, that he will be saved, that even in death he will depart and be with Jesus in eternal glory, so that you might even join with Paul in saying, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And now we come to the second part, to live is Christ. You see, life for Paul and life for every foe of Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Not just some, not just a bit, not most, it's all about Jesus. Our whole beings are wrapped up in him, our whole livelihoods in him. It's not just Sundays, it's not just our leftovers, it's not just sometimes, it's not even just first. Life revolves around and is infused with Jesus. To live is Christ. So let's reflect on this question today. Who or what are you living for?
Is Jesus your unwavering focus? Is he your undivided priority? The one who shapes and directs all your life and being. To live with Christ, it looks like exalting Jesus in all your life. Fruitfully laboring for Jesus, his name and his cause. And helping others progress in knowing, growing and showing Jesus. It means that as long as Jesus lets us live here on this earth, our unwavering focus is Jesus. Who or what are you living for? As we finish off, I want to quickly explore how this to live is Christ mentality affects us in five areas of life where I think we struggle in an unwavering focus on Jesus. First area is the workplace. I think it's easy to leave, to leave Jesus at the front door of our work lives to say to live as Christ, except in our workplaces, except in our work lives. But an unwavering focus on Christ, it has to seep into how we work and how we serve Jesus in our workplaces and how we view our jobs in light of our whole beings being oriented to Jesus. A second area is family. Will it be how we relate to our parents, our siblings, our spouses, or our kids? Are we relating to them in a way with a heart of to live is Christ? Or maybe we leave Jesus at church and outside of the home, or we elevate family even above the cause of Jesus. Last week, I was chatting with a bunch of pastors, and we are talking about parents who told their kids not to go to youth group so that they could study all through five years of high school. And when the kids uh, walked away from church a few years later, the parents who taught their kids that study is more important than Jesus, that to live is to get a good job and become a doctor, they blamed their pastors for their kids walking away from church. How does to live is Christ play out in your home and in your family? The third area is leisure. What we do with our spare time, whether it be the object of your leisure or the way you go about your leisure, is it infused with the heart of to live is Christ? Or is your leisure time a no-go zone for Jesus? How can this be infused with that heartbeat of to live is Christ? I used to play sport, uh, thinking that this is my relaxed time for being a pastor. Looking back, I missed opportunities to share Jesus, to show Jesus. I'd easily get mad at other badminton players that I didn't like playing with, and the basketball refs who always called bad calls. But a few years ago, it clicked that I'm still a follower of Jesus in my leisure time. How is your leisure time all about Jesus? The fourth area 
is retirement. Retirement from work isn't a retirement from living for Jesus. So for those of you who are nearing retirement, just retired, or a fair way retired, or even thinking about retirement, you know, down the road, God still calls you to live completely and undividedly for Jesus. It might look a bit different. You might have more time, more wisdom. You might have less physical strength and availability. But what does to live is Christ look like for you? The final area is church. It seems silly to say that we make church not about Jesus, but we do. We make it about ourselves all the time. You hear it behind every issue that divides the church, my way, my comfort, my preferences. We're sinful people working together. Yet Jesus, he saved us. He's called us into his body and we're to express this to live is Christ's heart in the church. To live is Christ. Let's make sure we have an unwavering focus on our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ in all of life. Well, as we finish off, we've seen Paul's heart this morning, an unwavering focus on Jesus. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, to finish off, John Calvin writes this to remind us of what the Christian life looks like. He says, If we then are not our own, but the Lord's, it is clear what error we must flee and what we must direct all the acts of our life. We are not our own. Let not our reason nor our will therefore sway our plans and deeds. We are not our own. Let us therefore not set it as our goal to seek what is suitable for us. We are not our own. In so far as we can, let us forget ourselves and all that is ours. Conversely, we are God's. Let us therefore live for him and die for him. We are God's. Let's, let his wisdom and will therefore rule all our actions. We are God's. Let all the parts of our life accordingly strive toward him as our only lawful goal. For as consulting our self-interest is the pestilence that most effectively leads to our destruction, so the sole haven of salvation is to be wise in nothing and to will nothing through ourselves, but follow the leading of the Lord alone. We are not our own. We belong to God. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Let's pray. Lord God, remind us this morning that we are not our own. We are yours. We belong to Christ. We were bought with the price of his blood as Jesus died and rose again to save us from sin 
and death to new life forever. Our Father God, help us to echo Paul's heart in our lives. To live is Christ, to die is gain. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.